I'm Reg Harbett, and today I'm here with Milt Rosberg, who is a global VP of Worldwide Sales, Marketing, and Business Development at Vanguard Integrity Professionals, uh, and uh, deeply rooted in the security industry since 1999 with console risk management acquired by IBM. Milton Rosberg has worked with Vanguard Integrity Professionals as a consultant since 2001, along with other industry-leading companies that provide solutions for ACF2, Top Secret, and RACL. Other areas of expertise include ZOS or ZOS, vulnerability engagements, SIM connectivity, compliance audit solutions, and system migrations. Milt, welcome. Well, thank you very much for the introduction and look forward to chatting with you today. Thank you very much for the introduction. Now, uh, Milt, we've talked before and it sort of got a bit of a sense of, of your background already. So rather than digging too deeply into how you ended up here in the, the mainframe and security space, I'd like to really focus on our, our topic today, which is the cyber resiliency as a perspective of, of an organization's real DNA. Uh, and, and I think one of the challenges that uh, we have as, as we look at the mainframe, certainly, but more generally at IT, is the whole idea of resiliency given the growing uh, number of security threats uh, and types of security threats. And so I guess maybe if, if we can start by just getting a sense from you, what is the lay of the land right now? What are the key issues that organizations and particularly mainframe using it organizations have to be considering as they ensure that their, their uh, setup is properly resilient in a going forward manner? Yeah, it's an interesting topic. Uh, as an organization, we spend a fair amount of time with senior executives of Fortune 100 and 500 companies. And they're always looking at a way that they can answer to the board of directors in a very concise way that their systems are compliant, that they are secure, and that their customers' information is safe. It's a real battle for companies to make sure that they don't end up uh, being on the front page of the New York Times or the splashed mm -hmm. on the news that there was another hack. Many of the large corporations around the world have had their data compromised from a variety of different ways. So the organizational DNA has to be such that it's more than just an idea. It has to be a real plan on how you're going to implement security in your organization. A little bit, of, it's an interesting topic because if you do any of the analysis on the amount of pressure that's put on the CISOs, and there's a lot of articles in this particular space, they are under, they have the gun to their head all the time, trying to make sure the systems are secure. And the competition uh, of those that are trying to get into the systems, they're coming from like nation states, they're hacktivists, uh, and in the future, it's all going to be this artificial intelligence stuff. So it's going to come at the speed of electricity. And so the, it, the idea is that you can get a plan in place that's going to do everything that you possibly can to have a structure that's going to protect the organization's data. One of the things that we've been asked to work on with uh, large clients is helping them understand what they want to have in their baseline, mm. developing a baseline for them, and then uh, help implement the baseline. 
this is a starting point for an organization to really have a good feel for what kind of information should be in the baseline so that they have a place to start and do the kind of checks that they need to do all the time. Now, baseline, I think just to make sure that everybody's on, on the same page with the baseline, because uh, that that's such a key concept. You know, and of course, these days, it's not just a, a single snapshot of how you, the environment was set up when you first installed. It has to be a, a dynamic thing, but it's sort of a, a best practices where you're at that you're kind of moving forward from. Maybe if you can elaborate just a little bit on, on how you characterize a really good solid base. I'll just give you a couple of examples that we've experienced over, let's just say, the last few years. We've been in the baseline business, if you will, since 2009. Uh, we did the distance stakes, and uh, we've built the distance stakes for Rack FACF2 and Top Secret. And we also have clients that come to us that say, you know what, we our organization is completely different than any other organization. And what we would like to do is take our best practices, our audit requirements, and our security requirements, and build that into a checklist, an automated checklist for the ZOS, uh, for the mainframe, and make sure that that checklist, when it's run, it produces the results of what the expectation is for that particular check, let's just say who has access to authorized libraries. And then it, it takes the result of that and it gives you the findings if those are correct. We have some clients that are doing as few as, let's say like 150 or 60, then other clients are doing 1600 checks to make sure that they're meeting their corporate requirement. So it just depends on the environment not a simple process, but it's an important process. And it should also be done not only on the mainframe, but any of your open oh. systems architecture that you have. So that you can give the audit group, the internal audit group, a place to start to really make sure that they have a good understanding if the system that's protecting the information meets the very basics of what the company wants to have so that they have a way of measuring their success. So uh, I hear a few different threads in there. On the one hand, of course, just something somewhat akin to the uh, IBM health check. But on the other hand, security technical implementation guides or, or STIGs, you know, providing an industry-recognized best practice baseline. But the, the third thread that really jumps out at me is just the, the nature of automating this, because I'm going to guess that the amount of manual involvement, well, there has to be some, has to be somewhat minimized just so you can do this regularly with, with a fair of, of, uh, amount of detail and uh, depth. Uh, so how do you see those coming together? Well, uh, when we first started building the, the, the stakes, we worked with a client that had three people using a tool that just does audit. And they had to meet a uh, government requirement every quarter to uh, get paid for the processing. And they would work for one quarter with three people just trying to get some idea how close they were to the distance stakes. They had to sign off on it and in order to get their uh, monthly payment from the government to do the processing. It took the full quarter, then they had to restart it again the next quarter. The bad part is that they were never 100% accurate, yet they had to sign off as if they were 100% accurate. Wow. And that's what computers do extremely well. So the first thing you would want to do is make sure you uh, define every part of the system that you want to look at, 
The other thing is you want to do a full assessment on your system to get a feel for whether or not your uh, what access people have and how it works. You want to do a full security assessment on your mainframe computer. There's a lot of companies that do that. Vanguard does, and IBM, and uh, Broadcom, and others. A lot of independent companies do this successfully to get a real baseline on where you are on your system to make sure that uh, you are meeting the standards that you want to have for security and that you don't have any backdoors just on your system right away. Mm. But the advantage of building the baseline and then running the checks against the baseline, it's going to give you results. And when you get the results, those go to, into a result file. They get collected across your enterprise. Let's say you have 100 LPARs as an example. And then you can, you can push those out into various forms. Like you can push them out to a SIM technology. You can push them out to internal reporting. But you need to get it in an a, a easy way for senior management to get a snapshot of where the system is at this particular time. So that when they look at it, they go, okay, now I have a feel where our system is across our enterprise. If it's only 10 LPARs or it's 15 LPARs, I get a real feel for what we have to work on and how close we are to the baseline that we established for our company. I think that's really the key to get a real feel for where you want to be and where you want to go. It's never going to be 100%, but at least you can start getting the controls built in place to get you there. Now, of course, one of the issues about controls and, and perhaps especially uh, control policies for things such as patches is that these baselines uh, identify gaps and, and you know, quite often ongoing emergent gaps uh, and the, the necessity of keeping patched, which is something on the mainframe, we've always been really careful. You know, uh, one of the things you learn as a new mainframer is the difference between you know, leading edge and bleeding edge or even not leading edge because your company wants to be really careful suddenly that goes out the window if you want to be current. So maybe if you can just talk about, you know, patching policies as a, a complement to these baselines. Yeah, there's really uh, two pieces to the to the baseline. Uh, let's say you run your baseline. Let's say it's, we'll do something simple. Let's say you have 100 checks and you run them and then uh, you get the results file and it's collected on each of your 10 LPARs. And you push that back and you find out, well, out of my 100 checks, I have 10 that need remediation. So you want to go ahead and make sure you do the remediation for those 10 checks. Then you want to establish a way that you have something that manages the policies to make sure that now that you have the 10 checks remediated, you don't end up getting creep. I'm going to call it creep across your organization where that problem arises again. And some of that could be human element. It could, who, who has access, who has the right people to look at things. So you have to have a policy in place that's actually going to look to make sure that after you complete doing the remediation, which could be extensive in some cases, hmm. that those problems don't are not reoccurring. So that's one part of it. The second part of it is what we're seeing from our clients is they want to put in place a way to get the controls so that when you have patches put on a mainframe. And we had a couple of clients come to us recently, and this is an interesting story. On a mainframe, typically you would do your patch updates like once a year. 
Then they said, well, we'll do our maintenance patch updates every six months. But now we're getting to the place where it's being pressured that they want to make sure that whatever the releases are for the maintenance or the patch updates, every month it's being evaluated, which is a huge task. If you take a look at a, uh, a company that has, let's say, a large enterprise of, let's just say, 20 LPARs, which is a lot to fool around with, you don't want to have to go back to each one of these LPARs to make sure that all the patches are put in place and they meet the requirements. The interesting part about this, Reg, it's being driven by the CISOs and the term patch was typically applied to open systems architecture. It wasn't something that you would see was applied to the ZOS architecture, let's say in the last 15 years. Now it's being pressured where you have to make sure that all your LPARs have the latest fixes and uh, the right software installed, the right revision, everything is correct, everything is up to date. And so the patch policy is in harmony, if you will, with making sure that your baseline and your checks are in place so that your organization from the top down feels comfortable that you're doing everything possible to protect the protect the system. Now, and, and that's important, but of course, as, as we know in the mainframe, we, we've got you know, decades worth of, of habits about doing our SMPE, you know, uh, receive, apply, test and the test environment, you know, set up a, a weekend when you're gonna install this maintenance. And, and this seems to kind of just flood in over top of that. Uh, and, and so getting into a completely new habit and not just with your security software, because, you know, as Stigs show us that every piece of software in the mainframe in some way touches security, you know, that, that's gotta be something that, that uh, takes a fair amount of investment to get a uh, mainframe organization up to this, this new level of, of rapid functionality, just in terms of maintenance acquisition, um, applying, testing, uh, and installing. Yeah, I, 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 the, the, the part that you mentioned about uh, making sure that all the implementation is going across your system, that was human dependent. If you think about it, the staffs, the size of the staff, when we work with our clients, the size of the staff that was running the mainframe system, it had a lot of people in it. And now you'll see cases where it only has maybe four or five subject matter yeah. experts that are trying yeah. to bring all these other people up to speed. As you know, we hold a conference every single year. It's a security conference. We invite the vendors in. It's not about, it's not a product conference. Vanguard's not pitching tools. We're actually talking to uh, uh, companies about securing their system and doing the right kind of audit things. We bring IBM in, Broadcom, other companies come in and they speak. And we're all trying to do the same thing. We're trying to make the systems hardened and as healthy as possible. And But the number of new people that we get in the conference is surprising. Uh, we always thought, well, you know, our conference size is going to shrink. The number of new people that are coming in is like 30, 40 percent. These are people that are coming from other departments. Maybe they could be in the open system side or they were a DB2 person, you know, or they were a systems programmer doing some other kind of application work. And now they're coming to the security spot. Why is that? Because of the youth of the people that are retiring out and the number of people that have met their uh, window of time, let's say it's 25 years, and they say, I'm going to be out of here in two years. You better find a replacement for me. 
And all that subject matter expert information that they've been gathering for all these years is going out the door. Yeah. So the vendors, all of us, have to work really, really hard to try to automate as many of these processes, like patch control as an example, or updating your systems in the right way, or developing tools that can measure against the baseline, or do as much as possible to make sure your databases are in sync. All these things need to be put in place because the people that have the knowledge are just leaving the industry. They're just not there. Hmm. So basically, it sounds like, you know, among other things, the, the need to get a new generation on the mainframe, which is something, a flag I've been flying since 2004 when I wrote a white paper about it, that that is, is merging in with this whole other set of concerns. Uh, because, of course, everything does uh, touch on security. And so I guess uh, as a CIO or, or uh, you know, somebody making decisions for an organization, that you have to be looking at budgets from several different areas, not just the budget for your security software and security people, but your systems people, your new people, your training. Uh, and then, of course, the, the cost of changing your corporate culture and behaviors in order to be acquiring and testing uh, and, and, you know, applying maintenance, accepting maintenance at a, a much greater pace than was done back when there were a lot of mainframers. Uh, this must be quite a significant cost to an organization, you know, plus then the cost of, of uh, ensuring that you, you're ready to deal with when there is an incident. Yeah, it's always a, and I'm just gonna say this candidly with clients that we work with, they'll say, well, I can't get any budget for this. And I can't get any budget for that. And, but at the same time, the the audit pressure that's being pushed on these mainframe shops is huge. And uh, uh, there's been so much attention put to the open systems architecture, and I'm gonna call it perimeter security yeah. that's been around the mainframe in the past, that they were the ones that were making the most noise and they got the most amount of money or the largest percentage of it. But if you take a look at what's going on on a mainframe, one of the places that people are very concerned about, and I think the increase uh, has gone up substantially, let's say in the last three or four years, and that's a concern for people who have authorized, they're the authorized user. And yes. the authorized user on the mainframe, if I was gonna hack a mainframe, the person that I would wanna go ahead and hack is the person that's been there 20 years. Right. And I would do all my social engineering to figure out a way that I could get into that system. And if you take a look at the nation states, they have all the resources to do that. So having the controls in place to take a look at privileged access monitoring, not the management part, but the monitoring part to see those that have privileged access, what they're looking at, when they're looking at it, if there's something out of balance that doesn't make sense, and to take a real hard look at it is important. That also has to be an element that's in the organizational DNA of securing information. Where I just think a few years ago, let's just take 10 years ago or eight years ago, the person that had the privilege access monitoring or management rather, and they had access to do whatever they needed to do in a system, let's just say it's a high level systems person, you would never worried about that. Now we're seeing where they're putting in multi-factor authentication, they're putting in tools to take a look at the monitoring, they're really using all the stuff that's out there today where you can really view what the person's doing, not because you don't trust them. You still have that very famous trust in the person, but you wanna make sure that you can take a look at what 
they're looking at. So if somebody gets in the wrong place, and we have a way of monitoring that if they shouldn't be there. Well, you protect your best people by being able to prove that they haven't been up to anything. That's what separation of duties is all. So given that, um, maybe if you can take a look at uh, the, the whole idea of, of putting this all in place into a, a cyber resilience configuration core environment, you know, between employee awareness and training, uh, ongoing security assessments, penetration testing, what does this look like? I think the, the part is uh, from the very start, you need, you need to take a real hard look at how you want to make sure your culture of the organization is protecting each of the elements. On the mainframe side, uh, there's so many different ways that you can do this, but you need to de develop a plan. And the very first part of your plan has to be that you understand the, where your system is today. Uh, of those cases where we go in and do, let's say, like a security assessment, when we go through where the system is and what it needs to be worked on and how it needs to be repaired, sometimes that's a little painful. Uh, not because it's not a good company or they don't have a good organization, just the fact that they had a, maybe they've done some acquisitions, a fair amount of turnover in the organization, and now how are you going to harden that system? So the first place that we strongly recommend is you do an assessment to figure out where your system is. How does it really, really look? Then you need to decide, uh, once you do the assessment, you develop a plan that makes sense. The employees that are going to have their hands on the system, they need to have full awareness of what they're looking at, how they're looking at, and what they're doing. Of the privileged users that have that are on the system, the one of the bigger problems is lack of employee training. And yes. so they're getting on the system, they're all allowed to get in the system and do things, not on purpose that they're making a mistake, but they just don't have the knowledge yet. So you need to have a very, very good program doing the training. And the last part of that is you want to do regular pen testing. You want to take mm -hmm. a look at your system, not only on the outside, but you want to look at it on the inside. You want to do everything you can to make sure that your system is solid. So it's just not one thing. You want to have your baseline in place. You need to go ahead and make sure you have remediation in place. By the way, of those systems that we work on, and we give an assessment to, sometimes a remediation could take years. You're not going to get it all done in one day. And that's so it has to be a way that you can explain this to senior management or management that you're going to have to spend this amount of money. One of the obstacles that we see is that there's some people say, well, I'm not sure we even need to bother to do that. We're going to be off the mainframe in three to five uh -huh. years. I think it was 99 or 98. I don't know who the guy was. Says you're going to be off. Everybody's going to be off the mainframe by 2000, like something like that. And he wrote an article on it, right? Yeah. And everybody's going to be off the mainframe. Then the latest thing we hear is, well, we're going to be off the mainframe in a couple of years, and we're going to go to the cloud. Handily, just because you're going to take and change your architecture, and go to the cloud, you still need to make sure that your systems are secure. Or you'll hear, I'm just going to go ahead and outsource it. We're not going to bother with it anymore. I'm just going to give it to somebody else to worry about. 
it doesn't change the uh, fiduciary responsibility of protecting your data. And we, we work with a lot of outsources, all of them are very serious about doing the very best job of protecting the data. And you need to make sure that that becomes part of your DNA. If you plan on moving to an outsourcer, it has to be a well thought out plan, put the uh, policies in place that you wanna control for your company and the software that locks it down so that people can only do the things that they're supposed to look at. And then if there's a plan to put it up in the cloud, you need to think about that also. Many of these large outsources are providing those kinds of services, but it doesn't change the fact that you still need to have your information secured. You still need to have uh, things in place to do the monitoring who has access. You still wanna go ahead and have an incident response plan in place that you practice on a regular basis. You want to make sure your patches are put in place by the outsourcer or you do it yourself. All those basic things that you're using to run your business to protect it from a problem, they're still in place, whether you outsource it, you stick it in a cloud, or you marry up with another company and use it together. Yes. So maybe if, um, and just bring this all together, as you think about an organization, uh, you don't have to name them, of course, but that you've worked with, uh, that you've helped go from you know, a relative unawareness of their environment to a clear baseline, to monitoring, to implementing what that indicates to getting to a, an ongoing monitored automated baseline that is relatively uh, current and kept current with security requirements. Uh, can you think of an organization as an example that you've done that? Yeah, well, we have, we have several of them. And one of the things that's really helped, I think, is that the SIM technology today gives us a way to right, communicate what the results are. Uh, we have very, so we have some very large clients that we have now in a place to, let's say you have a baseline put in there uh, and you gather the results from the baseline and you can go out, we do this thing called aggregation and delivery. So we can aggregate the data from each one of the LPARs and we can put that in a way that we can send it off to a SIM technology and that, get, that can be available for executives uh, and management that they can look at it down to their cell phone if they need to. And mm -hmm. so in technology, that we make it so it works with any SIM. The other part of that is that you need to have a way of sending out, let's say your baseline, it's going across 100 LPARs. You need to have a methodology where you can ship all the new baseline out to each one of the LPARs, particularly if it's shipped across you know, a worldwide organization. They need to get the baseline and all of their LPARs, so all of them are being evaluated equally. Then the other part of that is you want to make sure if you have patches that need to be put in place, they also need to be put in each one of the LPARs. So you're normalizing each of the LPAR security, uh, that needs to be monitored and put in place. But on top of that, if you have other application stuff that you're putting out to each of the LPARs, you wanna make sure that they have all the latest releases. If you take a look at all the latest hacks that are going on, not all of them, but many of them, what they'll do is they'll actually look for the vendor and try to find mm -hmm. SoloWinds, I think was an example of this, right? Where they went, they you know the the people want to infiltrate SolarWinds, and SolarWinds goes out and and they're an authorized user, they're an authorized person that's sending information out to the system. 
you need to make sure that you have a way of doing this in a very organized, protective way. And uh, of the clients we work with, they pay very close attention to make sure that they do the proper checks and change management, and they get it loaded up, and then they ship the, the new uh, baseline out to each one of the outpars and then validate that that's in place. They go ahead and run the scan to get the results. They take the result file and they bring it back. Then the next place you would go is use the same kind of technology and get your patch control in place. Those are just the very beginnings of the things that you need to do to make the mainframe work almost in an open systems architecture environment. Hmm. This has been going on on open systems for years, and it's important you get the mainframe to work easily. And it's back to the very thing we talked about in the beginning. Where are the resources going to come to run these systems? You're not going to replace the mainframe, stick it in the cloud overnight. If you're going to do some of this stuff, it's going to go on for three or four or five, maybe 10 years. And uh, in between now and that 10-year window, you want to make it op run operational efficiency, but you want to make sure you're running it very, very secure. Oh, this has been a, a really fascinating and important discussion and description of, of what it means to really get your organization into an ongoing state of cyber resiliency. Well, maybe if you can kind of tie this all together with any closing thoughts you have about what people should be keeping in mind with their organizations as they really move to the next level with their mainframe and with their whole IT environment in terms of cyber resiliency. Yeah, what we're finding uh, because of the size of our organization, we do, honestly, we do a fair amount of custom development. And uh, the custom development requests are coming from customers that are looking for different ways to solve a known problem they've been trying to fix for a number of years. And in some of those cases, they just want to take standard software and try to squeeze it into the, a round peg into a square hole and make sure mm -hmm. they solve the problem. This is not throwing stones at any vendor. I'm just I'm talking about the mainframe as a product, as a as a system in developing different ways to solve the problem. They need, to, they need to think about how can I really fix this issue? How can I really solve this problem? And then come to the, the vendors and say, I really want to fix this problem. I've got to fix this thing. And what is the best way to help protect the information on the system? And we're seeing a fair amount of this coming to play from this senior level of the people that are really the true security architects for the organization. And to grow a good security architect or find a good security architect, many times they don't come from the ZOS environment. They come from the other environment. So it's a fair amount of education that you have to bring forth. But there are no rules. Like this is, it's just math. It's a matter of what you want to solve, how you can program it, how you can develop it to meet the personality of your organization. And none of them are the same. We go across all these different organizations, none of them the same. And a lot of that is because of mergers and acquisitions and the nature of the industry that they're in and the amount of rules that are put on them. So they need to come to the vendors that they're working with and say, you know, I really need these five things to, to make the big leap. I'm at the five yard line and I want to get to my goal. How can I get 
the other five yards? How can I get to the goal line? And how can you help me get there with what we have today? And what do we need to do over the next two or three years to get there? Mm. And that's probably the most important message uh, as a vendor that we can provide is don't, don't say, uh, don't X out any idea. There's no stupid ideas. It's just ideas that need to be talked about. Mm. Excellent. Well, thank you so, uh, so much, Bill. This has been outstanding. No, I just uh, thank you very much for the time. And uh, I want to invite everybody to take a look at our security conference we're going to have this September. And it's a training conference on security. And uh, you can go online and take a look at it. And we'd love to see you there. Excellent. And I understand if people want to learn more about building cyber resilience into their organization's DNA, they can visit your website go2vanguard.com or go2vanguard.com. Uh, so I'll be back with another podcast next month. But in the meantime, check out the other content on Tech Channel. You can also subscribe to the weekly newsletters, webinars, ebooks, solutions directory, and more on the subscription page. I'm Reg Harbeck. <laughs>